0: You're listening to Intentional Optimist, the podcast for unconventional leaders, where you'll find inspiration, learn to discover and develop your own strengths, and hear from inspiring women just like you who are making a difference in their community. Who knows, you just might find yourself stepping up as the next unconventional leader right where you are. I'm your host, Andrea Johnson, the original Intentional Optimist. Hi there, welcome to episode 32. When I first reached out to Lindsay Hartigree, I thought I was meeting a professional organizer. I have loved Marie Kondo since I read The Magical Art of Tidying Up, and I was thrilled to see that Lindsay was certified by her personally as Georgia's first certified KonMari consultant. But professional organizer doesn't even remotely do her justice. Her overall goal is to help people live meaningful lives, and she's found multiple ways to accomplish that purpose. When I ask women about their leadership history and how they ended up where they are now, many share that they never expected to be a leader or to be leading in their current unconventional way. But Lindsay always knew certain things would happen, and it's so interesting to hear her journey. Meet Lindsay Hardigree. Hey there, welcome to the show, Lindsay.
1: Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>
0: I am excited to talk to you. Um, my my podcast producer and I are both like, oh, Marie Kondo stuff, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk. So she's really excited to hear this one and, and I am too, but I've learned that there's so much more to you than just being an organizer and that it feeds into the full mission and vision of your life. And I gave a very brief intro to this podcast for our listeners. So why don't you step up and tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, um, what your overall mission is, how you're an unconventional leader, and how you're letting that play out in your life right now.
1: Yeah, sure. And I really appreciate you having me on today. I think that it's exciting to have the opportunity to learn about this from other people who are, are doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to be one of those people. Um, so I am uh, Lindsay Hardigree. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I've lived in Georgia the majority of my life, lived in Florida a little while, went to uh, undergrad and grad school in North Carolina, so definitely a Southern girl. Um, I have um, my full-time position, so I have kind of two different things that I do with my time. My full-time position is that I am the executive director for the Episcopal Community Foundation for Middle and North Georgia. It's an organization that is a part of the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta, so it's kind of the whole top half of the state of Georgia. And we do some really exciting work around um, two different things. One, helping churches with their long-term sustainability through planned giving efforts and helping them to make sure that they are able to, to continue their operations for future generations. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece to that work is that I um, we, we provide grants to uh, the churches in our diocese, as well as the nonprofits that they work with Around the issues of hunger, homelessness, human trafficking victims, refugee services, generational poverty, and people whose lives have been impacted by the criminal justice system. Oh wow! So it's a it's a great opportunity to kind of the way I like to look at it is we fund the hands and feet of God, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great.
1: So, so it's really exciting and meaningful work. Um, mm-hmm. So that is kind of the the public facing thing that I do um, with lots of people. And then the other side of the work that I do is, as you alluded to, working with um, people on organizing their homes and their businesses um, using Marie Kondo's method, the KonMari method. And so that is is my, my evening and weekend job. And <laughs> it is fulfilling in a very different way. But it also I think kind of the, the common thread with both of those positions is that um, people are looking to have more meaning in their lives, whether that is someone who is, you know, a, a mom who is struggling to do her best at work and do her best at home, mm. and just needs some help figuring out how to get organized so that she can be her best self. Or if that's the mom who is, you know, struggling because she's working a minimum wage job, and she's taking care of both her children and her parents, and she's trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and the church is able to, to help her do that. Um, if they have the funds to do so. So really looking at a variety of different people and how I can help them to to live meaningful lives, whatever that means for them, I think that there's there's so much room there. Um, and I really see that as kind of my my purpose in life is to to be a part of
0: that work. that That must feel good to know that you are living out kind of what you believe your mission is to be.
1: Yeah, it really is exciting. And I think that um, a lot of people are struggling to figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, not only what is it that I want to do, but then how do I do it? And so I feel extremely fortunate that I've been able to over the years kind of it it sounds a bit cobbled together and pieced together, but it works so well for me that it's it's kind of like a custom fit in a lot of ways. And that's that's been really exciting to kind of explore and grow and and make my my life work for me so that I have a meaningful life.
0: Well, you know, I think that I'm just writing that down, the custom fit, all of our lives are a custom fit, right? Mm-hmm. Every single piece that we do, that we go through, that we learn. And I'm going to, I want to just touch on some of those pieces for you in just a second, but I think it's important for everyone to hear that comment. It, looks cobbled together but the reality is each piece builds on the last each Absolutely. piece i mean i'm learning to play lego worlds with my son and i really stink <laughs> at it um and he we went to build something and i was trying to point the crazy cursor thing and when i place bricks they're like who knows where it's like, I can't. and he's like, mom, that's not going to build a wall. And I'm like, it's going to build something, yeah, but
1: it'll be there. Don't worry. I, just, I
0: kind of see it as like, my life is the same way. Like I might have a bunch of Lego bricks that are not necessarily lined up. But when you put them all in, they might create the foundation for the Mm. thing that needs to be built on top. And there may be a reason that they're not all in a straight line. Like, you know, he likes to go in and pull out here's a wall and plop the wall. And I'm like, oh, that's boring. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of us, gosh, I'm just going to go with this analogy. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us want to think that that's how it's going to work for us, right? I'm mm-hmm. just going to be able to say, this is the way the wall is going to be built. And it's going to be straight and level and plumb and perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's just not. So anybody that's willing to say all these different things helped me find number one, my mission, my purpose, my vision. And it looks like maybe they don't correspond, but they do. I, uh, I think we all need to hear that. It's such a really good message. Um, And I actually drew on my my notes here. I if you can see here where I have like arrows pointing together, because I when I was reading your bio and when I was looking at um, your answers to some questions, I, I was like, she's got this Marie Kondo organization stuff here and the mission minded stuff here and the way she helps people here, and I have all these arrows, and I'm like, eh, that's that's all pointing to. Yeah. spokes off a wheel right Mm -hmm.
1: very much so yeah and I think that that has uh, become significantly more intentional the past few years I think at first I was just kind of grabbing at things and going well this feels right so I'm going to go this way a little bit and okay well this one doesn't feel so right so let me let that one go and it kind of was trial and error and experimenting for a while there but as I got a bit more honed in on what my vision for my life was, it became so much easier for me to say, oh, I see how this connects together. And oh, mm-hmm. I see how this piece that I've kind of for sentimental reasons have held on to how it's not serving me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, very much in line with the way that we organize things in the Kanwari method. Mm-hmm. But it also works really well for thinking about how you're organizing your life and and, and kind of this idea of what do I want for myself in my relationships and in my career and in my self care, and really thinking about all aspects of your life with that filter in mind, what is my vision and how is XYZ serving my vision. Um,
0: Mm.
1: And it's been it's been kind of freeing, I think, in a lot of ways Mm. to say, I know what I want. And I'm okay with acknowledging when I need to make a shift or a change or. When something is is exactly what I need. So it's yeah. just it's been exciting.
0: <laughs> um, I, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I'm notorious for doing it. Um, <laughs> the whole question, what do I want? Um, and maybe that's something we can get into in a little bit. I, I know that you're going to come into the Facebook group, Intentional Optimist, and do a little specific teaching, which maybe you'll cover it there. But An Instagram post yesterday that I interacted with a friend, a coach friend, who said at one point she didn't know how to say what she wanted. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I said, oh, that makes me really sad. But I realized I've been there. Yeah. There are days I'm there. I have friends who are there who say, oh, I, you know, I don't want this, but I don't know what I want. Um, And I think that it's really valid to hear you say that you're where, you're at the place where you know what you want, but you didn't yeah. get there just by deciding to say, I want oh, such no. and such.
1: Yeah, definitely not.
0: <laughs> I mean, you even said, it's like, I tried this. I was just kind of, did you say spaghetti against the wall or was that me? Um, no, but
1: that's that's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's
0: that whole analogy of just tossing it up there and seeing what sticks. And so let's really quick for our listeners run through some of the things because you and I have several things in common. Um but, um, you know, you said you went to school in North Carolina, but what kind of degrees do you have? Because you have. Yeah, some. yeah,
1: I have several. Yes. yes. Seem to, they're, they're like trading cards. I've been collecting them. Um, are <laughs> so, they valuable uh, baseball cards? <laughs> they're valuable to me. Let's yes. put it that way. And that is what is important. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, I did my undergraduate degree at Wake Forest University and I was a double major in English and theater. Um, not at all what I thought I was going to do when I Mm. got to school, I was very much convinced that I was going to have a career in publishing. I was going to be a journalism minor. My very first course that I took, I said, this is not the thing for me. And so I was immediately shifting gears.
0: My Um, husband did the same thing. Yeah. He, he he, he went to university of South Carolina thinking he wanted to be a journalism major and all the journalism people and everybody that he talked to said, if you want to do journalism, you need to major in something else. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you have something to write about.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You just very switched
1: anyway, helpful. yeah. Yeah, no, I. I as, as soon as I took that first class, I was like, this was a very valuable learning experience because now I'm not gonna waste all my time working on yeah. something that's not right. Um. And so the the English had always been in the background. I knew that that was gonna be what my major was. It was the theater that snuck up on me, which mm. I have loved theater uh, my whole life. It has always been a part of my life. It was something I did, you know, in middle school and in high school. Um. And when I was at college, I kept taking theater classes and it got to the point where it was like, you should actually like make this be part of your degree because otherwise you're wasting your time taking all of these classes. Uh Um, So that's, that's how I stumbled into the double major uh, because it just was something I was so passionate about and loved so much. And in a lot of ways, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in a lot of ways, the theater background is what serves as the foundation for everything that came afterwards.
0: Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I have to understand what that means. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, So a lot of people go, oh, theater major, you like to act. No, I don't. I have a horrible memory. You can't get me to memorize lines to save my life. That's not appealing. I don't want to go to Hollywood. I don't want to go to New York. That is, everybody thinks, oh, you're going to be an actor. And it's like, do you realize there's so much more to theater than just the people on stage?
0: That's the small, that's the tip of the iceberg. Yes,
1: that is a very publicly visible piece of it. But somebody has got to, you know, put the lights on them and make sure Mm. that the curtains are going in and out. And someone's got to make sure there are people sitting in the seats and who's paying the electric bill on the building, you know, Mm. really thinking about holistically, what does it take to run a theater? And that was really where I, first asserted myself you know, in any kind of meaningful way as a leader was in the theater uh, in high school and in college, I was the stage manager. Mm. And the stage manager is the person who basically makes sure that everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yep. They're the person who's juggling all of the balls and making sure that when one starts to fall, it gets caught by the right person. Um, if you want the actors to be on stage, the stage manager is the one that makes sure that they get there, um,
0: and make sure that all the people who are there to support them are there. (laughs) I've, I've been, I was always the actress, right? I was always the actor. I was always the one in the front. Um, and I could not survive without the people that weren't on the stage. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Andrea, stop talking, get on stage.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's not a, a, a glorified position within, I think that that was, um, that was a learning lesson too. I think that everybody wants to be, oh, I want to be on stage and have everybody love me. And there is something, um, that is very deeply fulfilling about knowing that you did a good job mm-hmm. and because you did a good job, other people got to shine. Right. And that, that's a, it's a big lesson to learn, but I learned that one early on and it serves me very well in, in all of the things that I do knowing I, it just because I I'm not shining. That yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was kind of how I got started. Um, My first graduate degree was an MFA in Performing Arts Management. So that was also in North Carolina at North Carolina School of the Arts. So basically it's um, the business of running an arts organization. So it's classes in accounting and classes in marketing and what are the labor unions that are involved in running a theater and how do you put together a budget? How do you put together a contract really thinking about the business side of something that is extremely artistic. So, my yep. passion and love for the art, I was able to really build a a concrete skill set around yeah. that. So, um, so which
0: that's a piece that I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt. That's yeah, no, a piece that um, we have in common that you may not have known. And that a lot of people don't know about me is not in a theater way. But, you know, I talked about being out front. Um, my undergraduate is a bachelor of business administration with a concentration in music industry. Yeah, I went to Belmont University, I graduated from Belmont with and so I had all of the artist management recording um how you, the technical aspects physics of sound um all the things that you're talking about in the theater i learned that all for the music industry yeah. and um you know i've used my bba throughout my career but not necessarily at in the music industry yeah. but it, it again it laid that foundation but there it was eye opening to see you don't you don't just get to like go do like busking on the sidewalk and get to be a star. I mean, there's, cause I worked for two different record companies and um, worked for artist management corporations and for ASCAP. And um, it just is, it is really a business and you, it takes the same kinds of things in those businesses that you need in other businesses. And um, so that's, that's very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, So that was
1: really kind of how my career started then was the third year of that program that mfa program was a full-time internship at a performing arts organization cool and as a little kid growing up down in south georgia i had been enamored with the city of atlanta since i was about four years old it always confused my parents greatly they did not know why i loved atlanta so much because I think the love came before I ever even visited the city. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had always said, I'm going to grow up and move to Atlanta. I'm going to grow up and move to Atlanta. And then when it came time to do this internship, there's a Tony award-winning theater in Atlanta that Mm. took me on for that internship. So that's how I got here. Uh, The city did not disappoint. So I'm very happy. I've been here about 11 years now and hope to never leave. Um, So that was my first position was working at the Alliance theater And uh, my internship was in both marketing and in general management. So I got a really broad experience and had the opportunity to work on some really exciting projects. Um, two of the shows that I worked on as an intern went to Broadway later. So that it's wow. just, it's just neat and cool to be able to say that, yeah, I remember helping put together the budget for this show that then mm-hmm. went and, and, you know, was nominated for Tony Awards. So, mm-hmm. um, just that's cool. Um, so I, I then went after my internship ended, I stayed on there for a few more years in the fundraising department. so that's really where I learned uh-huh. how to do fundraising uh-huh was at the Alliance Theater, which again, shifted the whole career in a different direction um, because that is definitely the the primary thing I do now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I was excited to find a way to be able to still be involved in the work that I loved, but doing things that I was good at. Um, and I know that you know if I had ever wanted to go be a stage manager professionally, I absolutely could have done that. I would have been a really amazing stage manager, but the stage managers that really have fruitful, lucrative careers. They'll mm-hmm. live in New York. And I didn't want to live in New York. You didn't, didn't live in live Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that was, you know, one of those first moments where I really had to decide, you mm-hmm. know, how do I want to approach this? Because I could go two different ways and my life will look very different depending on which way I choose um, and which, which compromise will make me happier. So mm-hmm. it was the, I would rather be in the place that I want to be. Working in the industry I'm interested in working in, um, but not being backstage anymore. So mm-hmm. that was that was an exciting thing to to kind of discover about myself, and I had a, a really fantastic time at the Alliance Theater. I learned so much. Um, and I also uh, met a lot of really amazing people. Uh, my best friends are are my former coworkers from the Alliance, and so it's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's been it's been lovely to stay in touch with them. Um, the majority of us don't work there anymore, but that's that is the connecting point. Is we were all there at a moment in time together, and. Mm-hmm and then we're, you know, each other's support system now. So it's just, it's nice to see how that happens too. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: so then you moved into fundraising, um, yeah. then you also have another degree. I do that <laughs> actually applies more to the type of fundraising you're doing now. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. So I, uh, after being at the Alliance theater, I, uh, took on a new position um, at the Atlanta Beltline Partnership, which if you're in Atlanta, you know exactly what that is. And if you're not in Atlanta, you probably have never heard of the Beltline. Um, It's the largest urban redevelopment project. Kind of. Yes, that is a part of it. Yes. Um, So it's it's taking 23 miles of abandoned railroad corridor and turning it into walking trails, bicycle paths and a a track for um, light rail uh, metro to run Okay. Um, to add further connectivity to the city's public transit system. Um, it is a uh, the last time I checked, which has been a few years because I'm not involved anymore, but it was a more than $4 billion project. It's huge. It's massive, yeah. um, totally transforming the city. So taking on that position um, helped me to find a way to use the fundraising skills I developed at the Alliance Theater, but apply them in a very different way. And it was actually a really eye-opening opportunity for me. Um, a lot of the things that are, um, I, I hate to say problematic because that's not quite the right word, but things that are need to be kept top of mind with that project in particular is that it travels through um, some of the city's most wealthy neighborhoods and through a significant number of the city's poorest neighborhoods. Mm. There's significant income disparity. There are significant affordable housing issues, some of which the Beltline is making worse because it's very desirable to have real estates like beachfront property to have Beltline front property. So there's a lot of opportunity there for some displacement and for Mm. people who have been living in these neighborhoods, their families for generations are, you know, predatory people coming in with, you know, really bad financial deals that are just making mm-hmm. generational poverty even worse in the community. Right. So it's I, I kind of, in a very general way, knew that that kind of stuff existed, but it had never been a part of my daily conversations or life or the work that I was doing until my time at the Beltline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a big shift for me knowing how do I want to serve is was that education and and learning about some of these issues in my city specifically.
0: Well, and it shows up in a lot of big cities. It, yeah. It, but believe it or not, it sh- Well, not believe it or not. You know this. It shows up in every town and every city. I mean, I'm in Charlottesville and there are literally big fights in City Hall over this exact issue. And so this is going to go into something that um, I feel very strongly about is that you seem to have the exact same proclivity for when you see something, you either do something about it, or, you know, I mean, it's like, once we see something, we can't unsee it, right?
1: right? 100%.
0: And um, you clearly decided to just you decided to do something in that direction. So now you've actually completely switched who you raise money for. Yeah. Um, And so that must have been very pivotal for you.
1: It really was. And it's, it's interesting because this was one of the first moments where that kind of patchwork cobblestone idea really starts to come up. So while this was happening in my career and I was understanding my city in a very different way and some of the challenges that I had just been completely you know, oblivious to in the past. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's
0: easy to do that. It is. And it's,
1: and it's, it needs to not be easy. And that's, again, part of the work that I hope I'm doing now um, Mm -hmm. is to help help people be more aware. Um, So while that was going on completely separate from that, but at the same time as that, I had known, gosh, since I was 17, 18 years old, that at some point in my life, didn't know when, didn't know where, didn't know how, At some point I knew I was going to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of this foregone conclusion in the background of my life. I knew I was going to go to seminary at some point. Um, I've had zero desire to serve as a priest. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just I don't feel called to ordained ministry, even though I at this point that's I had the training to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just not my path. But I always knew that I wanted to go study that Um, I am definitely someone who views lifelong learning as as a high value of mine. Um, mm-hmm. The the idea that I, I keep learning is, is very important for my own mental and emotional health. Um, and so I knew that at some point the seminary was going to happen. I wasn't sure what the deal was going to be. And right around the time where I was trying to make the decision of do I stay in my position at the Beltline or not, I had and it's it's one of those things that I still have a hard time figuring out the best way to talk about because it sounds so uh-huh sure yeah okay <laughs> oh no this is a safe place to go ahead and tell us
0: <laughs> so I was it's okay uh, to have the light coming out of the clouds and go ah. it's I mean, well, that's okay and, and it
1: kind of was that moment and it, uh-huh. the only time it's ever happened in my life it was very bizarre I was um it happened to be during holy week and I was at my church service for good friday which is a very somber service yeah. it is mm-hmm. you know the I'm an Episcopalian, and the uh, the altar is stripped of all of its vestments. There mm-hmm. is the the exciting, beautiful music is not there. the The lights are down low. We don't take the Eucharist at that service. it's It's about the the passion of mm-hmm. of Christ. And so there are moments kind of built into that service where we just sit for a few minutes and just reflect. And I was sitting in the pew reflecting, and all of a sudden there's this voice that goes, it's time for you to go to seminary. (laughs) I was like, where did that come from? I don't, what? Really? In the
0: stillness, in the stillness, right? Very much so, yes. Your heart was prepared. It was ready to listen. And the purpose of the silence in those kinds of services for people who don't go to church, maybe um, the purpose of silence and reflection is to actually listen. Yeah. It's to actually say who's who, you know, what what do you have to say to me? And um, and it sounds like your heart was prepared and it was ready and he spoke. And that's great.
1: It was it was very strange. It's just it was a thought. I hadn't thought about it in in probably two years at that point. It just was not top of mind whatsoever. So here it is. And once I had the thought I
0: could then you have to do think it
1: i could i like literally by the end of the weekend i was researching seminaries because i i couldn't it, then i it was oh yeah now this is what we're doing um so that was just timing wise you know that's it worked out exactly the way that it was supposed to and so i attended um i did it as a distance program because i knew that again if i'm not seeking ordination i couldn't justify literally quitting working in order to go to school so I looked for a distance program that would be academically rigorous. That was my top mm-hmm. criteria. I wanted something that was um, w- within my faith tradition, and then something that was academically rigorous. And so I attended Nashota House Theological Seminary. Okay, it's a tiny little town in Wisconsin called Nashota. It is absolutely beautiful. It is unlike any other place that I have in my life, and there's a very special place in my heart for this teeny tiny little school. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was a three year long program and basically you do one class a quarter and you spend a week in residence, each of those quarters. So I was going up there for in in total a month each year for okay. coursework and then doing courses at home. You know, you go for the beginning of the term and then you come and finish your work at home. So I had that going on and I did decide that, you know what, I, I need to leave this position at the Beltline, but I don't know what the right next thing is. Um, and so I actually was unemployed for a year, which was terrifying. Um, yeah. It was, I don't regret it whatsoever. Um, my my bank account probably regrets it, but I don't regret it. Um, it was one of those situations where it's like, this is why you save money um, so that you can do something like this when you need That's to.
0: That's a good role model. Listen to it's, that, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every like, time one of my guests says something about, well, I saved money so that when I wasn't working, it actually worked out okay. I'm like, oh yes. man, if I'm not working, I'm really going to be in a hard place because I'm it a spender. Was,
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, God, no, it was, yeah, that was, you know, it was, it was a tough year. Um, I'm very fortunate that my parents were supportive of me in that time. Mm-hmm. They got it. They were they could be a safety net for me, which I know that I'm extremely privileged to be able to have that. Right. Um, and, and I continue to be thankful that they said, you know what, you are looking for the right next thing. And we don't want you to just take the next job. We want you to find the right next job. And we understand that. And I was going to school at the same time. So I hadn't intended to stop working to go to school. But the first year I was in school. Uh, for seminary. That is what ultimately happened. And it was nice to be able to truly focus deeply on that. Um, What I didn't know at the time was that there was this thing going on at the Episcopal church that was percolating that I never would have, I certainly wouldn't have been paying attention to it if I hadn't been unemployed. Um, But I also would probably would never even heard about it. And it was the perfect job for me. And it was Hmm. this position at the Episcopal Community Foundation. um, It's an organization that has been around for about 40 years and I am its first paid employee. So it had, yeah, for for many, many years it operated with a volunteer board. Sometimes there would be someone on staff, on the Bishop's staff who might contribute some of their time to the project, but there was never anybody who was full-time, this was their job. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were going through some growing pains uh, at the same time that I was trying to figure out, okay, moving forward, how do we want to operate? Um, how do we want to make sure that the dollars that we're funding are really able to make a significant impact in the community? Mm-hmm. Um, so their their funding model looked very different than it does now. Um, and they ultimately decided that if we're going to really work with the churches to help build their long term sustainability, we need to have a fundraising professional who who is doing this work. at Exactly. Yes, exactly. So it was it's funny. It, it It was it was very frustrating in the moment, but I can laugh at it now. I I say I was unemployed for a year, but six months of that, I was interviewing for this position. Six Um, months. It was the longest interview process ever. Um, Oh my heart. (laughs) Which is uh, the church sometimes moves slowly. uh, And as somebody, I'm a product
0: of the church. I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know I'm the kind of person that's like, okay, we've identified the issue, let's act on it. And so that that continues today to be a challenge for me is that sometimes I want to move a lot faster than everybody else around me. Um, And that's, you know, a humbling moment as well. But that was that, I think that's part of the reason why I took so long to find the position is because I could tell from the beginning of that process that this was the right place for me. And it was excruciating to take as long as it did, but, but I could see where it was headed and Mm -hmm. I, I I had a feeling it was going to work out. So um so yeah so i'll celebrate my five-year anniversary with the foundation on may 1st it's very Yay. exciting and, and it's you know but having a, a degree from seminary is not required for that position but it's certainly all dovetails really nicely it certainly yeah. feels right to me personally um to know that i have kind of the the academic background into why we're doing what we're doing mm-hmm. i think it does help me to be able to share with the people that we're serving um to to be able to to really hone in on why the work we're doing is important. And I Mm -hmm. particularly mean with the people who attend the Episcopal churches that we partner with. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we're providing our grant funds, we uh, obviously certainly want to find meaningful opportunities to help the people who are in need, people who are poor and oppressed, who um, fit into kind of those criteria I listed earlier. But equally important to us when we're looking at our funding applications is we want a project that is not only going to help those people, but is also going to provide significant opportunity for the people at the church to have spiritual growth through their service to others. Mm-hmm. That, that is, we don't want you to just say, oh yeah, no, every I, we, we Check we, that we, box off. Exactly. Yeah. That's not what we're looking for. We want to make sure that we're not only making meaningful lives for the people who are in need. But that we're creating meaningful opportunities for the people in the pews to be able to live out their faith. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, a very kind of unique perspective for a funder to take. It's something that, you know, if I was outside of the, the world of the church, that would certainly not be the way that that would work. Um, but it's it's kind of this nice little niche that, again, fits in really neatly with what I like. Just cobbled to, to it together. <laughs> I yeah. It, uh,
0: kind of a custom fit. Look at that.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of once you start looking at all these pieces together that seem like they don't make any sense, it goes, oh, actually
0: it makes perfect sense. A hundred percent perfect sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: and I've literally, I've written several things down like, oh my gosh, we are so alike. <laughs> oh my God. You know, um, well, because your, your master's in theology is equivalent of a master's of divinity. Um, I did quit my job and go to a seminary, um, which is actually where I met my husband. Um, and uh, I have about two thirds, cause it's a four year degree in 96 hours, something like that. Um, but i I wrote down here you know strengths finder it's like you sound like an activator i don't know if you've done your strengths finder but
1: it has been a long time since i've done it i probably should go do it again i don't remember what it was before
0: (laughs) well but the idea that it takes me a long time to make a decision but once I decide, it's like that whole, once I see it, I can't unsee it. And yeah. therefore I have to do something with it. Um, and, but it may take me a long time to decide to do something. But once I decide, it's like, what are, what is the holdup folks?
1: Yeah, Can <laughs> you all decide <laughs> with me? You
0: know? And um, so in that, I sound very, very much like you. And so I, it just kind of resonates this whole conversation. It's so exciting to me. Um, okay. So now the next move is into, you, you told me in, when we chatted uh, last week that, you've always been the kid that organized other people's rooms that always redid your own room. And in that I was like, yep, I redecorated my room. I kind (laughs) of go through my stuff and, and I have like little cubbies for things. Everything has to have a place and everything in its place. And then I read um, this wonderful little book called the magical art of tidying up. And um, I'm curious to know, as we transition into that and um, how you got into that particular aspect of your work, because I feel like it's just like spreading. um, It's, kind of bringing you out into a full 360, the way you can mm-hmm. serve people. And that's a little bit how you presented it at the beginning, because this is a different market that, I mean, these are not the homeless people that you're serving. I mean, right? I mean, you probably use some of the principles in all of it, but yeah. so how did you get into that? And um, when did she start offering um certifications and that kind of thing? So tell us yeah. a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, like you mentioned, organizing has been something that has always been something I enjoyed doing. Um, I my first organizing memory was when I was about seven years old. I learned about Roy G. Biv, the you know yes. the order of the rainbow. That's what my and closet said,
0: is. And my closet is in Roy well, G. And so are my and, son's drawers. <laughs> and that's and that's it started at
1: seven. So I learned about him in school, and I came home from school, and my little seven year old self who could barely reach the hangers pulled all the clothes out of my closet so I could reorganize them in Roy G. Biv order. Um, which kindred spirits. Yep, exactly. So that's, that is when it started. Um, I will say that my, my favorite thing to organize of my own things is my library. So as you can imagine, I'm an English major and a major and I went to grad school for business and I went to grad school for theology.
0: So I have have so many books and also
1: I am a voracious reader, have always That's been my number one hobby since I was, you know, four years old. So I have books out the wazoo that all spark joy. Um, (laughs) And they, uh, because I'm the weirdo, they're organized in Library of Congress call number order.
0: No, you're not. My husband doesn't. (laughs) I will say his his job in seminary was he did do some preaching and he did do some youth minister work, but at the seminary he worked at the library. And this—that
1: so sounds like that'd be so much fun to me. I would love well, to do that. <laughs> of course, it was an easy
0: place to find him. Um, but he, um, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth has the largest theological seminary second largest in the world. It's like dedicated specifically to that. It is a huge library. And so he learned library stuff there. So when you go to our our bookshelves, like, where is it? It's in the such and such numbers. I'm like, I know, but Uh there's no numbers on the books. Right. I need to know. I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I have, I have a whole little database on my computer so I can real quickly add something. So it's, yeah. I am that person. I do not expect my clients to be that person. That's just what brings joy for me personally. Um, <laughs> but I probably, hmm, maybe seven years ago, I had some friends who were at my house and I, again, my house is just always tidy. And it's one of those things where people think, Oh my gosh, company's coming over. I need to clean up. And I just don't do that because there may be some stuff out, but my house is tidy. So, right there, there may be a couple of things on the counter, but they don't even notice them because the rest of the house looks fine because yeah. I just, everything has a place and I put it in its place. That's, That's just right. the way I live my life. And so I had some friends that said, I'm kind of struggling with my clothes in particular, That closets are really what, what we got started with. Um, could you come and help me? And so I have probably helped maybe four or five friends before I discovered Marie Kondo's method. Um, And initially, and this is this is one of those things that most Kamari consultants say, I discovered her method and I cleaned my own house. And it was such a huge transformation for me personally. And my story is not that my story is I learned about Marie Kondo, and I kind of heard what her principles were. And while her method was not necessarily my method, a lot of the kind of philosophy behind how she organized was similar to what I did personally. So I didn't read the book initially because mm. I didn't think I needed to because I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds like we kind of do it the same way. I'm good. <laughs> so the first time I heard about Marie Kondo was right when the when the book came out here in the U.S. And I I kind of ignored it for a couple of years because I didn't think it was important for me. Um, and then through a variety of different things, I had kind of been reading online and some videos I've watched online I discovered the consultant program and that's what got me in. Okay. So yeah, uh, Marie Kondo started, uh, when she was doing her organizing with her clients in Japan, she realized that there were more people that needed help than she personally could help. Mm -hmm. So she started having some consultants in Japan that she had worked with. Then I think that she realized when the book came out in the U S and it was this ridiculous success, that there was an opportunity for a lot of people to be able to to have this help in the united states so she started the consultant program i want to say it was 2016 is when they okay. did the first class of consultants um and so i attended the training um they, they've kind of they, they've shifted a lot of things in the past year the pandemic has really made them have to change how yeah. they're doing training um <clears throat> so I'm, I, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like moving forward but when i went through the training i i can speak from my experience Um, It was an in-person training. They offered two a year. They would do one in New York and then they did the other one. They did it in San Francisco at one point. They did one in London. It kind of the second one would move around a little bit. Um, And it was a full weekend where we would go in for training in order to be accepted into the training in the first place. Before you even go there, you have to have read both uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up and her second book, Spark Joy. And you had to have completed the entire Kanmari method yourself and you have to send them photographic evidence that you have completed the Kanmari method okay. about all of the different steps and there's write-ups to describe what the process was like for you so when I discovered the consultant program and I said oh this might be something I should look into mm. I then did do the Kanmari method myself so mm-hmm. it was and it was really interesting for the most part um so if you're I won't go into the whole thing but if you're somewhat familiar with the KonMari method. There's kind of five big categories that you go through. It's your clothing, your books, your paper, your kimono, which is basically kind of everything else in the house. And then the fifth category is sentimental items. And as I went through each of those categories, I, I was kind of tweaking the systems I already had in place, but I didn't have a massive declutter the way that most people do because because I'd been keeping up with it my whole life. You know, my, my biggest declutter was when I got my first apartment by myself after Mm -hmm. college, you know, it's, I'd, I'd kind of done that. The big transformation, there were two big pieces for me. The, the big transformation when it comes to my stuff is that I, was not horrible about holding on to sentimental items but i did have a lot of sentimental items and this was the first time i had a framework to approach my sentimental items mm. so i probably got rid of three-fourths of the things that i had been holding on to for at that point 30 years mm. um, so so that was really helpful to be able to say i don't necessarily need to hold on to these physical things in order to retain the memories and the feelings that come from them So that was for me, a big moment was, was learning how to handle my sentimental items. But the other big moment for me was at the beginning of the process. And it's in my opinion, the most important part of the entire KonMari method. It is the most important thing I can do with my clients. And that is her first step for tidying up is to define your vision. It's to actually decide when you say spark joy, What does that mean for you personally? Because it means something different to all of us.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's shorthand. Sometimes saying spark joy means I am looking for a house that brings me sanctuary. Sometimes it says I am looking for a house that brings me light and love. Um, And it's not just your house. It's the things that are in your life. It is the, the people that are in your life. It's the relationships and your work. What is it that you want from your life? And let's define it, which most people have not taken the time to do. It is it is extremely rare when I work with a client and they already know what their vision is. Almost always we spend 45 minutes in that first session teasing out the beginning first draft of what mm-hmm. does a vision look like. And that's the metric that you're going to then measure everything else that you have by. It's, you know, if I am saying that I am looking for peace in my life. That I'm gonna. I have a client right now that I'm working with that saying spark joy was hard for her because she's like, well, everything brings me joy. I, this is happy. I like right. this. Yeah. But what her vision was is that she wanted peace in her life. So we started saying instead of does this item spark joy, I say does this item contribute to your peace. Man, that was a light bulb moment for her when we figured mm. that one out. It's been so amazing to watch her grow mm. as she's been able to look at things with that different lens mm. and evaluate the things that are driving her crazy just because there's so many of them. She's able to determine, you know what, I have moved on past this or you know what, this does bring me peace. I love mm. this. Right. So it's it really was that um, that kind of first piece that's really important to the method. Mm-hmm. And again, fits in with all this other stuff that is in my life as well. So, um, so yeah, so once you've completed uh, your own method, you've sent them your pictures and everything, you attend the training. It's a rigorous training. Uh, it was three days long. You're doing lots of, of note taking and workshops and, you know, learning from people who are uh, other consultants who've been doing it for for a long time um you get to meet marie which is exciting because she's, she's just so a lovely cute. person she is yes.
0: she absolutely
1: is and it's funny because you know um the person that she if you've seen the netflix show the yep. the kind of sweet personality that she has mm-hmm. that was not for the camera that is just who she is she is <laughs> also everybody is seems delightful to say. <laughs> yeah she was she was very sweet The other thing, which was very endearing is that her, her English is almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. And so she would, she'd get so animated and talk, but you had no clue what she was (laughs) saying until the translator translated. And then you're like, Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Um, But it was, it was, it was lovely to get to meet her, um, her company, uh, Kamari Inc. Um, Is the CEO of her company is her husband. He is equally delightful. He is, he is a lovely guy. Um, He was, it was a joy to get to meet the two of them. So, um, and they're actually, they announced not too long ago that they're expecting their third child. So I'm excited that their little family's growing. Um, so that was, that was exciting, but that was kind of the beginning. Um, yeah. (laughs) So once you
0: were certified, when
1: I, I was, I attended the training in March of 2019 and I was certified in June of 2019. So once you've gone through the training, then you can call yourself a consultant in training, but you're not a consultant yet. Then you have to work with a minimum of two clients, one of which has to completely do their entire home from beginning to finish. You have to, yep, you have to complete a certain number of hours of working with clients. You have to write up reports on all of your sessions with detailed descriptions about the entire process and the work that you're doing with those clients. You submit those reports and if they're not satisfactory, they will make you do more. So it's, it's, it's not people think, oh yeah, I'm going to go sign up and it'll be easy. And it's, it's one of those things where I say it's a lot of hard work to get certified. It is one of the most rewarding things that I have done. It is yeah. a thousand percent worth the work, but it's not just for somebody who goes, oh, this is just going to be easy. Let me go. Um, so I, I say that not to scare people off, but to just say it it is hard work. There's a lot involved. It can be very emotional work. Hmm. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't recommend it to everybody, but if it feels like something you're interested in, it's incredibly rewarding. So, um, so yeah, that's
0: how that works. So (laughs) Um, we will have you in the Facebook group to actually teach some, a specific uh, amount. um, So we can actually have people ask questions of you then and that kind of thing. Um, But really quick uh, before we wrap up and before we go into just a few other things and tips from you um what i heard under the sentimental thing and maybe this is something i don't know if you have a pat answer to this but um you know people get really attached to the memories and and how they are they attach the memory to the thing rather than mm-hmm. just have the memory and what what do you say when people ask you but what if i lose my memories
1: yeah so there's um different people have different levels of tolerance for that okay so um, some people, uh, and, and these always crack me up because it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. They say, I want to make sure that I can remember my honeymoon. And so they have 40 different things, the t-shirt, <laughs> the ticket stub, the this, yeah, yeah, yeah. the that. And it's like, it'd say, okay, if you need some memories, that's fine. You don't have to get rid of all of the things, but right. let's reduce the things. So, right. so that's one piece to it. Um, the other is, and, and this is again, something that people have different levels of tolerance for this. Um, I have found that it can be really helpful for people who want to hold on to something because of a memory. Um, Sometimes taking a photograph of the item Mm -hmm. is enough. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and I did that with my, um, because my mother had held on to all of my childhood toys. Mm. I took took photos of all my Barbies, of my Mm -hmm. little ponies, of my Maple Town. I took photos of (laughs) all of these toys. And it was actually a really fun afternoon. Sure. It also was very um, eye opening because, I mean, when you're looking at 30 year old plastic, right. it's tacky. It was, yeah. it needed to go in the trash. And yeah. it, was, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, but I want my kids to be able to play with it. I would never let a child play with that. You know, that was, <laughs> no, 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 no. So sometimes taking a photograph of the item can be enough and you can let go of the physical item and hold on to the photograph. Right Now, the thing that makes some people nervous with that is, well, what happens when my computer breaks and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden I don't have my photos? And so that's when we get into talking about kind of some of the practical things of digital file management, uh, which is not not technically part of the Kanmari method. Um, She's got some tips for that in the book that came out last year called Joy at Work. Um, But I think that one of the things that people don't know sparks joy for them, but does spark joy for them is a good backup system (laughs) for the computer, for the cell phone, you know, yeah, I love a good plan. It's one of those things people don't think you need to be able to do something that you can set it and forget it so that you don't ever have to remember to do it. Um, there's so much peace of mind that can come from that. Like I don't, I don't want to go throw my cell phone and my laptop into the pool, but if I did do that, I'd be okay because all my stuff's backed up, you know, it's, it be a pain in the butt, but it wouldn't be Well, if you got problem. flooded
0: or if, you know, I mean, you fell off a boat or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. So the other piece I wanted to touch on real quick was um, the whole idea of the vision for your life mm-hmm. and people kind of wondering what that encompasses. When I work with clients, one of the first things we do is we determine their core values. Yeah. And I wrote down, is this the value statement? Is this kind of where... Um, where you look at what their value is, because if their value is peace, if right now, I mean, and it may, yes, core values don't really change, but sometimes there's a one for the moment, right? It's like, yes. this is the most yes. important one right now. And what I really, really need. Um, and how do you help them understand that that really is a vision for the long haul? I mean, obviously that's yeah. their own process, but um, because something that might bring me peace today, um, I'm, or might not bring me peace today, I might, regret later? And of course, I know the answers to these things for myself, but I know people are asking this kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: I think that's part of the beautiful process of the Kunmari method is that by defining something that you're going to use as a metric for everything that you own, by the time you get into the end of the process, it is so deeply ingrained within you. Mm. It is because you've asked yourself every single thing that you own, does this, do this thing that I say is a value for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and oftentimes our as we're working through the method, um, the the statement, the vision statement gets a little honed in. It may be that we kind of started in one right. place and then we went, actually, I know that we keep saying this, but what I think I really meant was this. Mm-hmm. And it's almost the same thing, but ever so slightly different. Or actually, we started off too broad. I need to get in a little mm-hmm. bit tighter. And that is something that, again, because we keep bringing it up, its I don't, I don't even know how many times I will restate the client's vision to them mm-hmm. over the course of a three hour session, mm-hmm. 50, 100 times. Like it's yeah. it, I sound like a broken record, but that's literally why they're paying me to be there is to hold right. them accountable to their own right. vision for their life. Right. So um, it's one of those things that by the time you get to the end of the process, you have internalized that so very deeply um, you'll start to think about that when you're in a store and say, you know, before you pick up that extra candle, you say, well, actually does this contribute to my vision for my life? Mm -hmm. Do I have a place for this? Is there one at home that I'm willing to get rid of so that this one can come in? You know, you start to have those thought processes for yourself Mm -hmm. and it's not just at the store. It's within your relationships in your life. It's, you know, actually this thing that I thought that I really loved doing with my life is not what it doesn't, fit into my vision for my life. Maybe it's time for me to have a career change. And you really start to think about the big picture stuff with that vision in mind. So I think that it's, it sounds like this trite thing you do at the beginning of the Kanmari method, we're going to define your vision, and we're going to hold you <laughs> accountable to it. But it is probably the deepest part of the work that we're doing. And it is the most um, long lasting, sustaining work of what we're doing.
0: Well, and this is why I think it sounds really good to me that the process of becoming certified is so rigorous because right. they recognize that they're not setting people out there to be professional organizers.
1: Exactly, you, you can yeah. get a
0: professional organizer's license or a certi- certification, lickety split, and you can get all the methods and all the the doing and all that stuff. But even as a coach, I know I can give you all the tips and tricks. But if what's in your heart and your mind never change right. to apply those in new ways to your life, the tips and tricks are not going to help you. Exactly. You know? I mean, if you if you want to stop smoking, taking up drinking is not going to help you. Or if you want to stop yeah. drinking, taking up smoking is not really going to help you. Um, so what I normally ask people is a couple of things. Like Everybody has a personal leadership principle, whether or not we've articulated it um but i'm wondering if yours has now become a little bit of this whole vision piece i mean is that how you, because what we do is we have a leadership principle in our lives that we kind of apply to every day you know yeah. some of us what would would you what would you consider to be yours and would it be what you've just described to me
1: uh somewhat it's interesting so again not to go too into the weeds because we could talk about this for a whole other hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things uh, that I learned in seminary, um, which is I, I'd heard the term before, but didn't have any context for it and and got much deeper with it in seminary um, is the concept of a rule of life. Yes, ma'am. And so the one that most people are familiar with is St. Is Benedict's rule of life. And it's kind of this, this set of tenets that the, Benedictine monks live by. Mm -hmm. Um, So so the way that I've approached that is I have my own personal rule of life. Mm -hmm. And it outlines my purpose and my values. And it outlines how I will live out my purpose and my values in my life. And it encompasses my spiritual life, it encompasses my work life, my time with my friends, my, you know, free time, all of the aspects that make me be me. This one-page document outlines how they each add to or contribute to the purpose and values that I have stated for myself. So hmm. I have a piece of paper; it's literally hanging on the wall right here beside me. Good for that you, I can look at to be able to come back to. So um, I can share my purpose statement. That maybe, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't know if that's helpful or not. So yeah. So my purpose is that I am called to serve God, His people and his creation with integrity and respect by honoring tradition and learning new things, all with a spirit of joy and gratitude.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So, and that I can see how that encompasses so many things. Um, And, I, I love that you brought up the rule of life. Um, I, yeah. in, in intentional optimism, my pillars, I call them tenets for yeah. a reason. Um, I didn't like pillars, right? Pillars hold up something. Tenets are things we do. Mm-hmm. Tenets are things. And so I've now stopped even calling it a philosophy. I now call it a personal growth plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, intentional optimism is not a rule of life. It could be, but it's not, right? A um, rule of life is is very specific to you. And I'm, yes. I also pay attention to, I don't know if you're familiar with the organization called Praxis. Um, I've heard of them,
1: but I'm not familiar. Yeah.
0: And well, for them, it's, it's all about uh, redemptive entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. with a purpose. And they've recently in the last year talked about a simple rule of life that so it's like you can you can google it you can go places to yeah. say well how would i build my own rule of life and i think that's a really good good principle um i actually other- have there's a book that i used as a resource oh, mm-hmm.
1: so i can um i can send you the information about it so you can put it in your show notes um, sure. but basically it's creating a rule of life it's okay and it's kind of got some step-by-step guidelines it's it's a fairly i want to say it was, it was published within the past 10 years so it's a fairly contemporary approach to this sure which i think is probably the most useful thing for most people so it definitely it's you know comes from a christian background but i even think that if somebody were interested in approaching this just from a generic spirituality perspective Mm -hmm. it could still provide some help there too so i'll I'll send you information about that yeah
0: um, because you know, sometimes when we start with something like that, other things like how do I create my vision for my yes. life—they fall into place. Because what you're doing with that is you're actually stepping back to those initial steps that you need to take, right? Right. Um. So the other piece I love to ask, and it just may fall right in line with this, is: Do you have a habit or a ritual that kind of helps you stay involved and and in that principle? Do you? I mean, yeah. You just quoted me your purpose statement, so <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know if your habit just plays right along with that
1: yeah, it's it's been one of those things that I have had to kind of again, hone and tweak and say, "Let me try this. Nope, that's not working. Oh, this works really well. Let's go deeper. Um, I have always been somebody who appreciates a good to-do list. okay. <laughs> and so I have um two journals that I use on a daily basis. Um, one of them is, um, I, I'm an extremely digital person. So my calendar and my, you know, all, all of that is all on my computer. But mm-hmm. I have a paper. Uh, planner, which I use specifically for task lists. It does not keep my calendar or anything like that, but it lists my goals for the year and it lists all of the tasks that I need to accomplish in a day and how I tie those into my goals. Um, and so that's the full focus planner.
0: Oh, you're sure. Yeah. The full focus planner is by I have his book on my shelf. Michael Hyatt. Michael Hyatt. Yes. (laughs) I like I have the focus book on my shelf. It's one of those I want to read. Okay, so Hyatt. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's how I day to day stay in this. Uh And then kind of taking a little bit more of a step back and thinking about truly the habits that I have and how they're serving this purpose for my life. On both a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis, I have a bullet journal as well. Okay. And so those that pair of journals, one of is much more like productivity, got to get it done today. And one of the others is is like an accountability journal, really. Yep. It's it's a these are the things that I say are important to me. Let me track them to make sure I'm actually doing them. Yeah. Um, and I I'm not an artistic person in the least. It literally, my bullet journal is just in it is, I, I, well, I like the color though. So it's, uh, I, I've, I've created grids and then I colored pencils and I Roy G Biv in my, my, (laughs) (laughs) very predictable. We have to call (laughs) this episode Roy G Biv. Exactly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's
0: that's interesting. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. To be able to say, you know what, this, this works for me. Yeah. Does it work for everybody? Absolutely not. I think that's the important kind of takeaway from that is that, play with it, try different things. If it's not working for you, don't force yourself to use a system that's not working for you. Right. But if it is working for you, give it a little more time and try to massage it and see how you might be able to use it deeper. So it's, it's highly customizable. You just have to be willing to have the patience to, to play with it.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons why I like to ask every guest these questions, because every guest has a different perspective. And sure. so for every listener, who knows if it's going to hit two people this time or three people, or even just one, if it just helps them rent, you know, cause we're all looking for ways to be more productive. We're all looking for ways to be more efficient. And this is yet another way you and I are like, you can see back here on my, um, uh-huh. I, the, the yellow one is y- your f- full focus. That's my planner. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't do, um, it's the, uh, cr- Clever Fox. I I had been Mm -hmm. on Brendan Burchard's high performance for a year. And so I needed something smaller. Um, but I also then have just a regular line journal where I keep, this is my daily journal writing and then my to-do list for the day. And that's, you know, so that's the week. So uh, we have similar um, tastes in that area. Um, okay. Before we sign off, you did talk a lot about, um, what it takes and what are the things to, to do is specifically for the KonMari Method Certification. Um, and you talked a lot about the things that led up to that in your life. And normally I ask people, what are the green flags mm-hmm. for that you would say to somebody if, if you wanted to do this kind of thing, um, or if you wanted to, to explore this in your life, what would you look for? Um, do you want to reiterate any of those in a real quick little bullet points?
1: Yeah, so I think that for me, the thing that has really um, that has really been kind of my guiding point throughout all of this is trying to find those moments to be quiet and listen and to acknowledge when it's feeling right and when it's not. If you allow yourself to slow down enough, you'll know when a change needs to happen. Mm. Um, if you're moving too fast, if you don't give yourself the time for reflection, it's very easy to miss them because they can be real quiet. It's, you know, the the blinker is still on in your car, but the music's going loud enough that you don't know the blinker still on and you're going to leave the <laughs> blinker on. I don't and know not anything about <laughs> that.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: But it's it's that give yourself the the regular time to slow down enough that you can check in with yourself and say, how am I doing? Does this feel right? Are there pieces of this that feel right? Yeah. Is there one little part that's not right? Or is the whole thing not right? And honestly, and I hate this advice because. (laughs) So what we're in now, the Uh green flags
0: were some of the things you shared before. So what we're in now, this is the advice for how you decide if it's something. Okay. So what is the advice you don't like to give? What is it?
1: Well, I don't like it because it sounds terrifying and I'm bad at taking it myself. But the advice is when you, when you know that there's something that's not right, you have to make the change. You have to Mm -hmm. take the risk you got to do it. You can't just sit there in in the complacency and say, it sounds really hard. It sounds really scary. I don't want to, mm-hmm. the longer you stay in that space, right. the, the, harder. the worse it's yeah. going to get. It's going to, it'll be even harder to get out of it. So yeah. I, I am not a risk taker at all. So that's why I hate that advice is because I don't, I don't want to, it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. where I'm at, even if I'm not happy where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's taken me a long time to realize that sometimes you got to get a little bit uncomfortable to then have a lot of joy and comfort. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that's really good advice. And in all of it, that's, that's really good. Um, so as we wind up here, where can people find you? We're going to put a lot of this stuff in the show yeah. notes, <laughs> um, but where can they find you, especially if they just, if they want to talk to you, like, I think I noticed you had a YouTube channel. Um
1: yeah, and that's that's a whole other thing. I play video yeah. games on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Well that's not related to this. <laughs> Girl, you're so well-rounded. Um okay. Oh, so, thanks. where can people find you? What's the best way to find you?
1: Yeah. So, um probably the easiest place would be on my website, which is getorganizedyall.com.
0: I love it. Um, y'all.
1: Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> no apostrophe in the uh in the URL there. Um and then on most social media that's it's getorganizedyall. Um so that's that is where you can typically find me. Um, Excellent. And I am happy to, you know, chat with anybody one on one on my website. There's a place to schedule. And if somebody's interested in just kind of learning a little more and, and is curious, I have an opportunity for people to schedule a, a complimentary 30 minute call which is really easy for people to be able to sign up for. Um, I do work with clients both in home and virtually. So excellent. if anybody is interested in kind of talking through doing the KonMari method in their own home, or even just doing some productivity coaching, I'm happy mm-hmm. to to talk about those things.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to live in Hotlanta to do it.
1: No, you don't. No, so it's a lovely place to live if you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've heard, I've been there a couple of times. Um, so... Um, Before we completely close down, I always ask people, because this is The Intentional Optimist, and we want to know, is there something that you are always optimistic about, even if other people think you're just nuts, just crazy?
1: I have a a very deep and abiding passion and love for Star Wars.
0: Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) And have since I was a very small child. Excellent. Um, So um, it's one of those things that brings me great joy. I have... Uh all of the books. I've watched all of the TV shows and the animated series. Wow. I know. I'm like real deep into Star Wars and have been for a very long time. So okay. that is, and it's one of those things that either you get it or you go, that is a huge waste of time, but I get it. And I'm okay. fine with that. So <laughs>
0: So you get it. But what is it that you're optimistic about with it? Is that oh, you will always love it or it will always it, be mean, around?
1: <laughs> the exciting thing about it, and, and this has always been the case even before it was purchased by Disney, but it's even more exciting now because it it has a new life. Um, yeah, yeah. There are more stories to tell.
0: Hmm.
1: Always more stories to tell. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what I get really excited about in kind of the books and the comic books and things like that is we're not necessarily continuing on with the the adventures of Luke, Leia and Han. It's all of these other things that are happening. And this one happened a long time ago and this one's in the future. And this is in some completely different place with characters you've never seen on screen. (laughs) And I, I love a good story. I always have. Mm. And I think that that's what I'm optimistic about with star Wars is that, the world continues to grow yeah. and it continues to be exciting. It continues to go in new directions. You continue to see things in new lights and meet new people. Mm. It's just so rich yeah. and, and wonderful. And there's so much potential there. And that to me is, it's always exciting. It's, it's one of those things where, oh, there's a new Star Wars book. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, there's, there's more, I want more. And I know that there's going to be more.
0: So. Well, <laughs> and you know, I don't think that is only applying to Star Wars. There's always a new yeah. story. And I actually, Absolutely. I'm sorry, i going to make the connection to what you do with people. You help them see that there's always a new story. They don't Absolutely. have to hold on to the old stuff. There's always something new. That's a beautiful yeah. thing to be optimistic about. See, you thought it was, you <laughs> thought it was this. silly thing. It's not at all. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it actually applies to so much of what you do. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for being here today. Absolutely. Um, We will put a ton of things in the show notes. And for those of you who are in the Facebook group, she will be coming in to teach some specific stuff about the Kumari method. Um, And um, I believe she's coming in there as a member too. So um, we talked about that this morning. So um, I look forward to seeing how well this this recording plays out and um, sharing all this amazing stuff with so many other people. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay. Okay. Wow. So much information. (laughs) She's just a little amazing, isn't she? We didn't get very far into the Kanmari method, but if you're in my Facebook group, she's coming in next week, especially to teach on the Kanmari method for the home. So if you can catch that live, great. Otherwise, when you join the group, you can find it over in the guide section under guest teachers. I just love that I get the privilege of talking to women like Lindsay who are so generous with their time, knowledge, and wisdom. So how do I see Lindsay specifically living the principles and values of intentional optimism and unconventional leadership? Well, Lindsay is most definitely optimistic. She's in the business of offering hope to others in all aspects of her work, and she's certainly confident she can help them, and that helps her stay present. Her generosity has been fueled by her experiences, the things she's seen and learned through her work, causing her to be more kind and open which then set the stage for her to embrace the KonMari method where she learned how to help others move in the same direction. Lindsay has such an authentic energy. She's definitely industrious, building skills where she found herself, like blooming where you're planted, even when she didn't know how they would all fit together in the end. Of course, she helps you figure out what sparks joy for you, which is different than what sparks joy for me. She focuses on the individual, celebrating each person's unique beauty and purpose, which speaks to her wisdom. She seeks to understand without needing to force being understood. She's careful with her words, how she presents her ideas, and in working with clients, she's mostly asking questions, respecting their space and their ideas. Courage shows up in Lindsay's life in her extensive leadership activities and accolades. We didn't even go into the award she's won and that she's been recognized in two major 30 under 30 lists, and her ability to help others capture their vision as their accountability partner is definitely not for the unadventurous. I think, though, if I have to pick one tenet that Lindsay embodies most, it would be Intentional. Lindsay is a planner. When you do project management for a living, you get really good at it, but that doesn't mean she's locked into a structure with no flexibility. She makes certain that everything she does lines up with her purpose of making other people's lives meaningful, and she manages this through living within her own rule of life. Now, as far as growth is concerned, you heard her dedication to education, right? Did you count all the certificates and degrees? Now, she's unconventional in her leadership because her passion for improvement and productivity starting with the Atlanta Beltway Development Project to her fundraising and her foundation grant work, and now through the KonMari method of organization and productivity work for the home and office, are a reflection of her core values, which I see as service, availability, and responsibility, making her a fantastic role model for other young women, especially with the leadership role she's taken on in the Atlanta area, which just underscores her dedication to her own personal growth. Now, degrees aren't everything, and they don't guarantee that one is learning, but Lindsay calls herself a voracious reader, knowing that she can learn from anything, anywhere. Unconventional leaders lead at every level, in any area, using their unique gifts, and Lindsay is proof of the idea that seemingly unrelated education, work experience, and personal strengths can work together to form an amazing contribution you never saw coming. Now, there was a ton in this conversation, so I've rounded up a few things Lindsay shared to help you figure out what sparks joy for you. First, be willing to ask yourself, what do I want? Now, this can be scary, and it might go against the grain because it can sound a little like a selfish question. However, if you're in the wrong place or your spaces aren't helping you move forward, you need to know what you do want so you can figure out how to make the change to get there. Second, take the time to develop a good vision of where you want to be and where you want to go. Take the time to slow down, step back, and reflect. This is how you gain clarity. Third, a super practical way to help with this is a great to-do list. She uses a couple of journals and keeps track of her vision and her goals, including all the steps to get her there. And with a journal, you always have a record of where you've been. So you can always look back through that and do your reflection that way. And number four, if you really want to go all in, you can create your own rule of life. This is a set of principles by which you live. Lindsay created hers after reading the book, Crafting a Rule of Life, An Invitation to the Well-Ordered Way. And while we've included that in the show notes, there are plenty of examples and ideas for how to come up with your own. Now, you can find Lindsay at her website, Get Organized, y'all, and on all the social media platforms. We've provided them for you in the show notes. Now, what about you? What do you want? Is it time for you to step out on a whole new adventure? What's your dream? Have you placed a time frame around it? What do you need to do in order to make it happen? 2021 is the perfect opportunity to launch forward in ways you may never have expected, Are you ready to step into a new role? What are you seeing right in front of you? And how will you foster leadership qualities in those around you? These questions might sound tough, my friend, but they're designed to get you moving into your own personal growth journey. Have you started? Is your boat stuck on the shore? Is it in the water, but floating along with the current, drifting wherever circumstances take you? It's time to be a participant in your own destiny to set that rudder and watch the point on the horizon. Maybe it's time to get some help and reach those goals you set. Because you know what? Your boat's not gonna launch itself. It's gonna sit right there on the beach all day long. So let's get that boat in the water. This is my specialty. I help you begin the journey, giving you the equipment you need. I help you launch from the beach. If you wanna start simple, check out my Facebook community, Intentional Optimists. Over there, we're building a community with a culture that helps us all learn to think and live with intentional optimism. Now, intentional growth includes feeding your mind, so you'll want to check out our book club. April's book is The Big Stretch, 90 Days to Expand Your Dreams, Crush Your Goals, and Create Your Own Success by Tanisha Jackson-Warner. And don't forget, Lindsay will be in there teaching the KonMari method for the home next week. So if you want an overview of how she works with clients to transform their home to match their vision of what sparks joy, this is your chance. So join us. The link is in the show notes. Another simple place to start is with my new mini course called Uncovering Your Core Values. It's designed to empower you to move forward in your own direction based on the discovery and alignment of your primary core values. The link for that is in the show notes, but you can also just go to my website, theintentionaloptimist.com, and click the button Uncover Your Core Values at the top of the page. And I've got more good stuff in the pipeline for you, like a membership community where high-performing, mission-minded women just like you set goals, find accountability, and encouragement to reach them each month while building community. And if you want something more robust, I'm going to be offering a new group coaching opportunity where you can learn and grow in a small group setting. I'll be sharing all of this in my Facebook group as well as on my Facebook and Instagram pages, but they could fill up fast. So if you're interested, email me at Andrea at com and let me know. I've of course included my contact information in the show notes as well. Now, I know your time is valuable, so thank you so much for spending some of it with us today. Don't forget to subscribe here on your favorite platform and you'll never miss one of our episodes. All right. Now, as soon as this one is over, go leave a review and a rating right where you listen. That way, somebody else who needs a little intentional optimism in her ears will be able to find us. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you're an intentional optimist and you love this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review with a five-star rating. You can also snap a screenshot right where you're listening, share it to social media and tag me. This helps others find us and we'll have an even bigger impact. If you're curious what it would be like to work more closely with me or just to step up as an unconventional leader yourself, I invite you to schedule a free discovery session to talk with me and learn more. Just email me at Andrea at Optimist.com. If you're looking for an encouraging and uplifting community on Facebook, hop on over and join the Intentional Optimist group, Women Encouraging Women from all over the globe. The community and email links are right here in the show description wherever you listen to the podcast. Until next time, remember, you're the answer. You are the future of leadership and the role models for future generations.